Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We've got a whole new series that we're starting today and it's simply called, He Said What? He said, what? And we're going to be looking at some of the outrageous things that Jesus said. And as followers of Christ, it's not enough just to have our favourite portions. We're going to do another series called Favourites. We're going to get different people up here preaching their favourite passage of Scripture. There's a place for that. But we can't live on our favourite passages of Scripture alone. We have to embrace all of the Word of God. If He's Lord of all of our life, we need to embrace all that He said. And this series is about awakening and giving us a greater awareness of some of the things that Jesus said and what He meant behind those things that He said and what He was trying to lead us into as a result of some of those things. Because He said some outrageous things. But before I get into that today, let's pray. Father, I pray right now in the Name of Jesus that You would give me the words to speak that You would anoint the foolishness of my preaching this morning. And as I'm preaching, I pray that You would open the eyes of people to see. I pray that You would open our ears to hear. I pray You'd open our minds to perceive the truth. And I pray that You'd open our hearts to receive Your Word this morning. Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, help us. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you, Kathy. Let's put our hands together for Kath and the team. They do a great job. Well, what you need to know before I get into, as a, by way of introduction to this particular series, about 12 months ago, just a little over 12 months ago, we had a new addition to our family. And uh, it was on the 8th of February, uh, 2014, we brought home a little puppy dog. And uh, he's a cute little thing, and he's obviously grown since he was a puppy. Um, his name, he, there he is, there he is. And you'll want to know his name now. Um, his name um, came from the main character in the Divergent series, uh, which my older daughter, Jordan, got into. The thing is, she read three books before the film came out. And you know when you read a book and you have a particular uh, picture of how those characters look and, and even how to pronounce their names? You know, And so my daughter was devastated when we went as a family to see the first part of the Divergent series and she heard for the very first time that the lead character's name was Tobias. Not as she'd imagined it in her head, Tobias. <laughs> Three novels later on Tobias, she comes to watch the movie and it's Tobias. She says, what? <laughs> and uh, anyway, we thought it was funny, but... BJ loved the name so much that when we got this little puppy, she said, we're going to call our little puppy Tobias. I wanted to call him Dougie. <laughs> I, feel, I feel he looks more like a Dougie, but it wasn't my call. Um, but he's a Maltese Shih Tzu. And uh, can I just say this? I love our little dog. I'm a dog guy. I love our dog. I love dogs. They are just awesome. And this little dog is no exception. But as he came as a puppy, as you can only imagine, you know, he needs to be trained. 
And so we spent the first part of our time with Tobias, you know, taking him outside, showing him where to wee, taking him outside, showing him where to poop, taking him into the laundry to show him where to sleep, which we've since found out by someone else that that's not the best place for a dog to sleep because it's cold and lonely and he'll come up with, he'll go up with issues. But anyway, <laughs> that probably explains a little bit about our dog, but... He's in the laundry and so, you know, and we, we had to fully train him. Um, we also had to give him some vaccinations and injections. And uh, because he's a male dog and he belongs to our house, I thought, you know what, he's probably, you know, he's probably, you know, he's all man. So we've got to do something about that. So we gave him a little operation. Not, not us, but um, <laughs> took him to the vets. And, and he had the little, the, the little, you know, couple of things removed. And, and I'll never forget when he came home, he looked at me like, I trusted you. <laughs> I think if I heard correctly, he said, call yourself a Christian. I think that's what the dog said. That, at least that's, that's the look he gave me. And I, I felt just a little bit sad. But a year later, um, it would be fair to say that our dog has become fairly domesticated. Yeah? Domestic animals are house-trained animals. Um, who here has a pet? You do. Many people have a pet, and I'm sure they are a domestic pet that you've trained, and they've um, kind of, you know, fit into your lifestyle. Yeah? 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 Cool. But there are some animals that are not domestic animals. They cannot and will not be trained. All of those who put their hand up to say that I have a pet, if I was to ask you what that pet was, it would probably be a dog or a cat. It could be a bird. It may be even be a lizard. But I doubt that anyone here um, would have a pet lion. Anyone got a pet lion? No. No, because a, a pet lion uh, will never become a pet because it's not a domestic animal. It cannot be trained. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, it says, one, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. The lion of the tribe of Judah is referring to King Jesus. He's referring to our Lord. He's referring to our Saviour. He's referring to the one who laid down His life for all of humanity once and for all. And that is we've been singing to. That who is who we've been worshipping this morning. His name is Jesus. He is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And He roars like a lion, the lion in the tribe of Judah. Some of you might say, but, but doesn't it say that He's also the Lamb? Yes, you would be right. But here's my point, And this is the point behind this whole series. Most of us, if we're honest, are far more comfortable with Jesus the Lamb than we are with Jesus as the Lion. And I'm here to say throughout this series, if you want Him as the Lamb, you better have Him also as the Lion. You can't have Him just as the Lamb. He's either Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. He's Lord and He's Saviour and He's Deliverer. He is Lamb and He's Lion. He has eyes of doves. He can look at you with those soft, loving eyes and wrap His loving arms around you and make you feel so special and so loved. This is the Jesus I'm talking about, but this is the Jesus we are very comfortable with. 
But this same Jesus with eyes of doves, who wraps His arms around us, is also the same Jesus who has eyes of fire. And you do not want to be on the receiving end of those eyes if you have not responded to correctly to Him. We are in the fight for men's souls. That's why we've been left here on planet Earth, that we may be able to help people understand the full gamut of who Jesus is. See, the problem is too many of us have tried to domesticate Jesus. If you look at the pictures for the most part, if you look at the stories and the films, society has tried to paint a picture of Jesus that is safe and comfortable. Apparently, when you look at all the pictures of Jesus, they must have had hair product back in the day because His hair was always immaculate. Have you noticed that? Yeah, and apparently the dentist back in the day did a roaring trade because his teeth were snow white and they were capped. And I don't know what it is, but Jesus seemed to be onto something according to the pictures about some kind of magical formula when it comes to washing clothes because his clothes were always oh so white and oh so bright. I mean, and and we are very comfortable with this type of Jesus, the pale Jesus, the thin Jesus, the sad Jesus, the meek Jesus, the blonde haired, blue eyed Jesus. I don't know about you, I've never seen a Jew with blonde eyes, blonde hair or blue eyes, but we seem very comfortable with that. And we paint Jesus how we feel comfortable instead of receiving Him as He is. And that is as King and Lord and Lion and the Lion of the tribe of Judah. We're happy with Him, just loving people. We're happy with the Jesus that forgives people. We are happy with the Jesus that will come alongside me and give me what I need for any given moment. We're happy with that Jesus. But can I just show you a quick picture that Paul Scanlon put up recently um, on his Instagram account? And it says, If anyone asks you what would Jesus do, remind him that flipping over tables and chasing people with a whip is within the realm of possibility. (laughs) Just saying. I don't know if you've ever seen The Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe or read the book. C.S. Lewis is a master. He's an absolute master. And I want to I just uh, highlight an extract from that particular book uh, where Susie and, um, Susan and Lucy ask Mr. and Mrs. Beaver to tell them about Aslan, the lion in the story, who is a Christ-like figure. And uh, particularly where they ask about Aslan and whether, in fact, he's a man. And to that, Mr. Beaver replies... Aslan, a man? Certainly not. I tell you, he's the king of the woods and he's the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I should feel rather nervous at meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else very, very silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Didn't you hear what Mrs. Beaver just told you? Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe. 
but He is good and He is King. He is King, I tell you. See, make no mistake about it, church. Jesus is not safe and Jesus will not be tamed, but Jesus is good. He's not safe. He's not comfortable. He refuses to be trained or domesticated by you. You cannot tell Jesus where you want Him to sit. You cannot tell Jesus where you want Him to stand. You can tell, not tell Jesus what you want Him to say or what you want Him to do. He will not be tamed. He is definitely not safe, but He is King. He is Lord and He is good with a capital G. And that's what we need to hold on to. See, following Jesus, doesn't lead to a safe life. It doesn't lead to a comfortable life. It doesn't lead to a predictable life. He's not interested one iota in leading you or me to safety. Jesus is preoccupied with leading you and me toward our purpose and our destiny so that the Kingdom of God will advance and heaven will be populated with the souls of men and women. And in order for that to happen, we will not live a safe life. We will not live a comfortable life. Our life will not be predictable, but it will be fruitful. It will be a fruitful life. We've got to stop change, uh, chasing excitement. People want an exciting life. Adelaide right now is a place to be. It's an exciting place to live with the Fringe and WOMAD and we've just had Clipsal and there's cricket galore on and Adelaide is just on the, on the map at the moment. It's exciting, but that will come and that will go. Jesus was not about us an excitement life, but a fruitful life. He wants us to have a fruitful life. This series is about the outrageous things that Jesus said. And I'm going to be honest with you, this series is going to blow your mind. There's going to be elements of this that will blow your mind. There's going to be elements of this series that are going to make you as mad as hell. Just warning you. This series is going to give you butterflies in your stomachs where you feel like being sick because God is doing such a deep surgery in us that it's not going to feel comfortable. During this series, God is going to strengthen our resolve. We're going to be stronger, bigger and better as a result of this series. And this series is going to fill us with joy unspeakable. We're going to have joy like we've never had before. And the end result is this, we're going to feel fully alive. We're going to feel so full of life, the life Jesus promised. He said, the devil comes to kill, the devil comes to steal, the devil comes to destroy. But I have come that you might have life, life to the max, life to the full, life with a capital L. And that's the journey you and I are on. He never said, I came that you might have a comfortable life, a safe life, a predictable life. He said, I have come that you may have life with all of its ups, with all of its downs. And it's gonna be the ride of your life. Can you imagine a roller coaster that was straight? Who pays good money for a roller coaster? Let's go. It's like we're driving to Melbourne. It's just like boring. It's just like, no, it's the ups and the downs that make it exciting. And you come off a roller coaster. It's like, I didn't feel safe. It certainly wasn't comfortable. I feel a little bit sick. I'm as mad as hell for the person who told me to go on that thing. Oh, but I feel fully alive. That's what this series is about. 
And the reason we haven't felt fully alive for a long time for some of us is because we haven't been embracing Jesus in His fullness. We've been embracing Him in his, uh, favorite, our favourite verses of Him. And so the title of my message today, the title of my series is, He Said What? But the title of my message today is simply this, Obedience is Thicker Than Blood. You may have heard it say that blood is thicker than water, but according to the Scriptures, obedience is thicker than blood. And uh, this is one of the outrageous things that Jesus said. And I felt if we could get over this one on week one, the rest is smooth sailing. Let's pick the hardest, most precious scripture there is. See, very few of us, if I went into your home, would have a golden calf on display. And if you have, you know, my advice would be sell it, make some money. But anyway, but very few of us have a golden calf. But I believe that many of us would have a golden calf when it comes to something that is so precious to us that it takes the place of God. And I believe one of the biggest golden calves in our society today is that of this particular subject that Jesus is talking about. Luke chapter 14, verse 26, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. He said, what? Hate your family? That's outrageous. And to quote my good friend, Gary Coleman, from a TV series from yesteryear called Different Strokes, I say, what you talking about, Willis? I mean, if there is ever a moment in the Scriptures that deserves a, what you talking about, Willis, moment is this one. What you talking about, Jesus? I mean, like, come on. Hate your family? He said, what? How outrageous. Some of you, on the other hand, might say, woohoo! I'm in the will of God for the first time in my life. I've never been happier. This is awesome. And to you, I would say, before you get too excited, that's not what Jesus had in mind. He's not suggesting that we be antagonistic toward our family. The word hate simply means this, to love less. Our love for Christ must be so strong that all other love is like hatred by comparison. And he says this not just of our family and friends, but also of our own life too. Our love for Jesus should be greater than any other love that we have on the planet. It should be more than anyone else. And it should be before anything else. That's what Jesus is saying here. And Jesus, true to form, didn't just talk the talk, but He walked the walk. He always modelled what He said. Wherever there is a Scripture that you don't fully understand, that you think is outrageous, you need to go to the Scriptures to find out where Jesus modelled it. Because He always modelled what He said. 
He wasn't like the religious people that just said stuff, put a heavy burden on people and then left it to them. No, Jesus always modelled what He said. And so if you ever come across a Scripture you don't understand or don't think is right or fair, you need to find this uh, correlating Scripture where Jesus modelled what He spoke about. And that's what we want to do this morning. And so turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 12. I want to read from verse 46 to 50. Reading from the message. While He was still talking to the crowd, so Jesus is in a room, with his disciples, and he's talking to them. His mother and brothers showed up. They were outside trying to get him a message. Someone told Jesus, your mother and brothers are out here wanting to speak to you. Jesus didn't respond directly, but said, who do you think my mother and brothers are? He then stretched out his hands towards his disciples. Look closely. These are my mothers. These are my brothers. Obedience is thicker than blood. The person who obeys my heavenly Father's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. I want you to know that Jesus' response at this moment was outrageous. It was outrageous the way Jesus responded. You see, Jewish culture is probably one of the most family-orientated cultures on the planet, both then and even to this very day. They grew up with the Scripture to honour your mother, to honour your father. This was drummed into them from the day of their birth. Honour your mother, honour your father. It wasn't too earlier prior to this moment when they were at a wedding, all the wine had gone and Mary says to one of the servants, go and speak to Jesus, He will tell you what to do. And Jesus then listens to His mother and turns water into wine. And so this moment right here is a no-brainer for everyone in the room. We know exactly what Jesus is going to do. We know what Jesus has to do based upon the Word of God, based upon previous examples. We know what Jesus is going to do. This meeting's over. Mum rules. Family comes first. Yeah? They expected to stop what they were doing and pick up this meeting another time while Mary... And Jesus' brothers do business. That's what they expected. What are we doing today that we expect Jesus to do that He's not going to do? Jesus responds by just leaving him outside. What? <laughs> They're kind of, I can see them making a way. And He leaves them outside. What we need to remember at this moment is this is our loving God. This is a man who never sinned. This is a man that truly loved his mum. We saw that when Jesus hung upon the cross, one of the seven things he said was when he spoke to John, his disciple, and he said, John, look after my mum. He loved his mum. 
And yet on this occasion, he seemingly ignores her. And what he goes on to do is use this interruption as a teaching moment. If you read the Gospels, you'll see Jesus is the master of teaching moments. He doesn't just wait till he's in the synagogue to preach. He uses every aspect of life to teach his disciples, to teach those who are closest to him. Parenting 101 is using teaching moments to raise your kids. Some of the greatest discipleship with our kids takes place in our tripped from home to school on a regular basis. We just talk about things and we use things that have happened in life as teaching moments and discipleship takes place. And that's what we see Jesus doing here. Instead of just responding based upon the expectations of people, instead of overreacting and saying, how rude, He just uses it as a teaching moment because there's some things He wants us to learn. I believe when it comes to God and family, Jesus is saying there's some things He wants us to understand and to know and to do when it comes to serving God and our family. And I will look at three of them very quickly this morning. The first one is this. I believe Jesus is saying to His disciples, as He's saying to us today, you've got to stay focused. He's teaching us to stay focused. The Scriptures say Jesus was doing something. He was teaching the Word of God and His family turned up. He leaves them outside. This is the thing I want you to catch. At this moment, Jesus is not ignoring His family. He's simply placing His family. You've got to get this. He's not ignoring them. He's simply placing them. And that moment was not the time nor the place for his biological family. It was a time and place where he was sharing with his disciples. You've got to catch this. He's not ignoring them. He's simply placing them. He was true to what the moment required. He was basically saying, let me finish what I'm doing. And when the time is right, I'll see you later. You getting this? In other words, you can't jump at every little thing that comes up just because it's your family. And we see this all the time. We live in a society where family is king and family comes first. And Jesus was not advocating that here. See, I grew up in a household where my dad understood what I'm trying to get across to you today. See, every morning, as long as I can remember, my dad had his daily routine and he put first things first. And he would get up every morning, he would make muesli, his breakfast. He would have a hot vinegar and honey drink. Go figure. And he would read his Bible every morning. And uh, I was always up before dad. I was an early bird of note and I, I was kind of been up for you know, ages and I just wanted to you know, talk to somebody and dad would be there. But, but I learned very early on that that was not the time nor the place to talk to my dad. And if I dare interrupt that time or that place that he set aside with God, all hell would break for, loose for me. 
It would not go well for me and I, and I, and I learnt that. I learnt that. But what it did for me was twofold. The first one was it gave me a good example of what true Christianity looks like. In other words, I grew up in a household where my dad didn't just talk the talk, but he walked the walk. He didn't just say God was Lord of all and that that was his first love, but I saw it demonstrated. The other thing it did for me is it gave me a good example to follow. And so I came to the conclusion early on in life, if you can't beat them, join them. So guess what I had for breakfast? Muesli. Guess what I had to drink every morning? Vinegar and honey. Still don't get it to this day, but I just did it. And I read my Bible. From the age of 15, I developed a discipline of reading the Word of God on a regular basis. And that's become my routine. And our kids know when they come downstairs, they see mum and dad on the couch just reading. They're allowed to say hello, but that's it. They can give me a kiss and a cuddle, good morning, that's it. Because it's my time and my place to be with my first love. And I'm modelling that. And guess what our kids do now? Guess what the first thing they do is in the morning? They do the same thing. They're reading and they're journaling and understanding what this Scripture actually means. It's about stay focused. Don't let your family, no matter how cute they are, no matter how beautiful they are, no matter how precious they are, get in the way of what matters most. See, for some of us, our family have become our precious. My precious. <laughs> and Jesus will have none of it. I can almost hear some of you say, but what about emergencies? Now, that's a good point. If I came into my dad while he was reading and said, Baz, he's bleeding profusely and he's going to die. My dad would put things down and, and deal with those emergencies. You know, he may ask the question, why is Baz bleeding? And I say, Dad, that's, that's, not, a, that's not relevant right now. <laughs> because it usually has something to do with the fact that me and Pete doing something to Baz, but that was not the point. He needs attention now. And, and Dad would drop things for those emergencies as I would for our kids in an emergency. But let's be honest. How many emergencies happen, Really? See, this is about staying focused. This is not about being cruel or mean. This is not about ignoring your kids when there's a genuine need. This is about putting first things first. Are you with me? I also hear some of you saying, but I know families, or I know people, sorry, that have lost their families because of the call of God. And you would be right. But I know equally as many, if not more, that have lost their call of God because of family. Am I right? Here's my point. We don't want either. We don't want you losing your family, nor do we want you losing your call. We want you fulfilling 
the destiny and purpose that God has placed you here on planet Earth for such a time as this. Cheers. So the first thing I believe Jesus is trying to teach us is stay focused. Stay focused. Secondly, I believe Jesus is trying to teach us to live free. Free from people's opinions. See, at this moment, Jesus is not being mean. He's not being cruel. He's just being free. It's not personal for Jesus. He's just walking in a freedom that very few people ever, ever, ever walk in. He's not being mean. He's not being cruel. It's not personal. He's not bent out of shape. He's not hurt. He's not picking a fight. He's not picking sides. He's just walking in freedom. How would you like that? To be able to walk in that kind of freedom, even when it comes to your family. He was free from fear of what people think. He was free from control, what people expect. And he was free from tradition, what we've always done. Who would like that kind of freedom? For many of us, this is a freedom we know nothing about. Think about Christmas time. And you get the phone call. You will be coming for dinner at Christmas. You know it means so much to mum. And we're like, yes. (laughs) Jesus came to set us free from that. What about this one? It's been two weeks since you called me, love. Is everything okay? AKA, I'm losing control. And we go, such a control freak. Oh, it makes me so mad. I'm okay, mum. Who'd like to be free from that? Hi, honey. Your brother needs a place to stay for a little while. I know you'll do the right thing. That lazy so-and-so, why does he go and get himself a job? Okay, mum. Who'd like to be free from that? Who'd like to be free from your lazy brother? Question, how much of what we really do is just motivated by the fear of man? Not the call of God. Not the Word of God. Imagine being free from false guilt, pressure, and false allegiances and alliances. This is why Jesus could be so brutally honest. See, Jesus wasn't swayed by the praise of man nor contempt. He wasn't swayed by success or opposition. You've got to get this. 
I'm going slow with you this morning intentionally. He was just being free. No matter what was happening to him, no matter what was happening in his world. In John chapter 2, verse 23, it says, Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and they believed in his name. Awesome. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each and every person. Jesus was so free, he was able to deal with the fickleness of the crowd. Six days before Jesus was crucified, he came into Jerusalem on a donkey with palm leaves and people were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King. I mean, this was a party. This was a carnival. This was a festival atmosphere. They had donkey rides. They had games like pin the tail on the donkey. I mean, it was amazing. It was like, it's a King. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King. And Jesus said, okay, cool, whatever. It's great, but whatever. Six days later, the same crowd are saying, crucify Him, crucify Him. Give us Barabbas. And Jesus stands before Pilate and said, are these, true, are these accusations true? And he stands silent and said, whatever. He's not swayed by success or opposition. He's not swayed by praise of man or ridicule from man. Because they were never his benchmark and they're not ours. He came to do one thing and that was fulfill the will of the Father. The Bible says Jesus only ever did what he saw his Father doing. He only ever did what he saw his Father doing. And he knew his time had come to go to the cross. And he says, whether you want to rebuke me or whether you want to praise other let just get me on the cross. I've come to fulfill my plan and my purpose and my destiny. If you love me, great. If you don't, great. I've got a job to do. How many of you like that kind of freedom? Jesus is saying, live free, people. The Son of Man came that we might be free and free indeed. Not, not free, but a little bit free, but totally free. Free indeed. Can you imagine that kind of freedom? where we're not controlled or manipulated by people of the same last name. My Bible says, and we've been singing a lot about it lately, that Jesus is a name above every other name. Can I just say this? Anyone who has a last name Rainbow in this house bows the knee to the name of Jesus. That includes my wife and my kids and my extended family. I love them, but the name of Jesus is greater. And this series is about dethroning us and our name for Him and His name. Not everyone's clapping. That's fine. That's all right. We're getting there. But you know, I'm right. We have made a God out of our name. We've made an idol out of our name. It's my husband. He's right. It's my kids. They must be right. How many of you, when Johnny comes home crying because someone beat him up and we just go, right. doesn't matter if he's been a little so-and-so to the guy who deserved to give him a good flogging. 
I've said that to our kids. Oh, you hit me. I said, you deserved it. <laughs> this is Jesus, the man who never sinned. He never got it wrong. And he wants us to live this way. In John chapter 8, verse 32, it says, To the Jews who had believed, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, truth won't set you free. The truth will. What do I mean by that? The sky is blue. It's true. It won't set you free. It won't help you to deal with this stuff. You need the truth. And to embrace the freedom that I'm talking about this morning, you need to receive this truth. You need to stop elevating your family and start elevating the name of Jesus to live in this kind of freedom. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't say the sky is blue, now everything's okay. That's true, but it's not the truth. It's not the truth that's going to set you free. A truth won't set you free. Only the truth will set you free. Are you with me? And my third point, as the band come and join me, is this. Number one, stay focused. Number two, live free. And number three, think bigger. Think bigger. Jesus was interrupted. Your mother and brothers are here. And Jesus doesn't respond directly. But he simply says, who are my mothers and brothers? He asks the question. If you can teach a man to think, he becomes a powerful man. If you just keep giving the answers all the time, they'll never grow up. And so then Jesus says, are not these my mothers and my brothers and my sisters? What he was saying to his family and to everyone in that room, lift your eyes. Don't make your family so small. Stop making your family limited by those with the same last name as you. You've got a much bigger family. You've come into the family of God. The family of God is much bigger than your little family. Your little family fits within the family of God. Don't let the family of God fit into your little family. It's bigger. It's broader. It's wider. How do I know this to be true? Well, when the disciples asked Jesus how they ought to pray, Jesus said, I'll tell you how to pray. Start by saying, Our Father. Can you see the family language? He didn't say master, didn't start with saying teacher, oh great God in the sky. He said, you have the invitation to come and talk to your dad. It's family. Jesus is our big brother. And we're surrounded by people in this room who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our family is much bigger. And Jesus knew that at that moment. He's saying, hang on, what do we mean my family? I'm already talking to my family. I love my family. But I love them too much to put them first. If I leave Jesus out of the equation, I'm going to distort what God has for them. Because contrary to popular belief, they're not my kids. Contrary to popular belief, Kath is not my wife. She is my wife. I'm married. It's okay. Relax. <laughs> you don't want your pastor to be sleeping with someone you're not married to. I get that. It's worrying, but it's not true. I'm married. It's all right. It's all right. Chill. But before she's my wife, she's 
God's daughter. And I have to respect that. She's not mine. She belongs to God. And I have this small time called life. It's just a small time to be able to steward that gift well. She's not my wife. She's God's daughter. And God has entrusted one of His daughters, the most beautiful, amazing woman on the planet He gave to me. That's how special I am in His eyes. Favoritism is just not fair. It's just not fair. Sorry, it's just not fair. And so how I treat her and what I say to her, it's no longer about what she said and what she did. It's about God. You've given me this precious gift and I want to look after her. Show me what to do. Likewise with our three kids. They're not my kids. They belong to God. And I have this small moment in time to be able to shape and direct them and point them back to Him. And I can't do that without His help. So God, I'm coming to you first. Because I do love my kids. It's because I love my kids, I'm ignoring them right now because I need to know how to help them. I need to know how to lead them. Because not my will be done. I've got plans for them, but it's your will be done. You've put them here on planet Earth. You've put gifts and abilities within them. And I feel like sometimes it's our will over God's. We try to stick them into this lawyer box. They will be a lawyer because they'll make lots of money and they can look after me when I'm older. Let's be honest. And they're like, they just want to be a dressmaker. What do you want to be a dressmaker for? They don't make much money. Come on, just, you know, just get it in there. Some do, I suppose, but. Can you feel the tenderness of the Father in this place right now? Because He loves you. And He not only loves you, He knows you. And He not only knows you, He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you better than your husband or wife. He knows you better than your mum and dad. He knows you. And that's why there's this invitation. Come to me first. Let all the other loves take second place to this love between me and you because I want to help you. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. I'll give you rest. See, contrary to popular belief, most people don't burn out because of the call of God. What we're burning out from is fighting God. That's what's exhausting. I'm going to preach three times today and I'm going to just feel energized at the end of it because I'm in my God shape doing what God's called me to do. That stuff doesn't burn you out. It's the fighting God. It's God speaking to us about something and us just not being willing to let go of what He's asking us to let go of. And we hold on to it because, well, He's got it. He's allowed to do it. It's got nothing to do with you. Don't limit the kingdom of God to your family only. Bring them on the journey. In this room, I have a lot of brothers from other mothers. And I have a lot of sisters from other misters. And it's just an awesome privilege to be able to gather together with you Sunday by Sunday and midweek. Thank you for taking the time to listen. 
If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 